0: Hello and welcome to another episode in the Creating Customer Success podcast series.
1: My name is Dan and I'm your host. And my name is Alex and I'm your co-host. In this series, we are interviewing customer success leaders to learn how to build and run the best CS teams. We hope you enjoy listening. Uh, yeah, so Peter, thank you very much for joining us today. Delighted to have you as a guest on the podcast. Um, just to kick things off, it'd be great if you could give the listeners a quick introduction to yourself and a brief um view of your background and how you got into customer success.
2: Fantastic, sure. Um, So Peter Majid, I am currently the customer success uh, director for Qualtrics um, in EMEA. Um, And prior to this, I worked for a small startup company called Delphix, actually they're not so small anymore, Um, and I was also the customer success uh, VP there for EMEA. And prior to that, I worked in SAP for many years, doing multiple things. I suppose you could say I've I've got quite a varied background. Um, I I grew up in SAP. My professional career grew up in SAP. I started off as a consultant, um, and working for a large company like that, you tend to get pulled into all sorts of uh, uh, work and experiences. And I was lucky enough where I have even worked in various uh, countries and continents, so I think when I look back about how I got into customer success, I would say I fell into it accidentally. Um, and it actually started quite early on in my career. Um, and it wasn't known as customer success, but it was the foundations of what is today customer success. Um, it started off when, <clears throat> excuse me, um, SAP started getting into a cloud into the cloud solutions um, and they were launching uh, one of the first cloud solutions. Um, to the market. I was part of the go-to-market team and the launch team. And um, as part of that, my role was to project manage and deliver um, the, the, the projects um, and thereafter ensure that the customers were happy, satisfied using um, the solution um, and therefore renewing. So there wasn't a name called for customer success then. Uh, we called it an engagement manager. And that's how I started understanding the importance of um, retention revenue. And we we didn't use ARR or ACV back then. We just knew that uh, the term licenses that were sold had to be renewed. Um, And we realized that it was a fantastic opportunity for us to actually expand our footprint in the customer space uh, because we were seen as trusted advisors. um, And we met on a yearly basis. We understood what was working, what wasn't. Um, and therefore started putting strategies together. So that's how I fell into it. Um, I then moved on and, and, and led a pre-sales team in the cloud space. Um, and when I left um, to join another company, the startup company, um, they hired me to build um, customer success in Europe um, from the ground up. So I was the first customer success uh, manager, uh, learning the business from scratch, and then actually putting together strategies um, and building up the team, um, and before I left, um, the team was a was a reasonably sized team looking after the the market over there.
1: Perfect, and um, I think that's quite a, a, an interesting way that you put it there. I think that is definitely a theme that we've seen that um, people have, as you say, sort of fell into CS because it wasn't really a, a job title um, previously or, or like a known role. Um, was there a particular? I, I guess you said things like project managing and and renewing revenue and stuff like that, but um, what was the main reason that that role was created? Because a lot of the time we hear that it was just sort of born out of a need for churn, reducing churn. Would you say that that, that was the key focus, or was there anything else that was the main focus?
2: That was the key focus. There, there, there were probably two focuses. I mean, the key one is churn. Now, how do you, when when you have when you have that revenue model, when you have a cloud model or a SaaS model, where in order to be a successful business, you need to retain that revenue, right? The ARR or the ACV, depending on what financial model you use. And the ability to retain it, but more importantly to predict um, retention and churn is very important. And you can only predict it if you're embedded and understand that customer very well. And that's where, that's where that, um, that need came from. In, in my particular case, um, in this organization and the solution that we were selling, the way people implemented it and the way people used it was slightly different from what they were used to. Back in those days, people were very used to on-premise solutions. And the way you actually deploy a cloud solution and your ability to actually uh, customize or the depth of which you could customize and configure um, was very different. I mean, you just weren't able to configure it the same way you can uh, with an on-premise solution. So customers didn't understand that they had to there, there were other ways of doing things, right? There were best practices. So out of that um, came a need to actually educate the customer that in order to meet certain business requirements, you didn't always have to go in and hack the system. You could actually change processes. There were better ways or different ways of doing things, and that with that real with that realization um, and that impacted churn. By the way, right? If customers have an expectation that if they're not able to change a, a solution to meet their exact needs, then therefore the solution was deemed to be um, not very good, and, and they would leave. They would blame They would blame the problems on, on the actual platform itself. So out of that came a need to actually educate the customer that, you know what, there are other ways of meeting their business needs, and possibly even better ways. And the whole idea of um, challenging um, the status quo um, and the whole idea of actually showing them how to even disrupt the way to do things, to actually change the way to do things to get a better outcome, um, became apparent to us, and we built that into, into the customer success role. And when we, when we started doing that, we realized that A, it actually built and gave us more credibility, um, which then actually cemented our, our position as a, as a trusted advisor, right? So it came to the point where customers were actually calling us up to say, oh, I'm not really sure how we handle this situation do you have any ideas? And that gave us then, you know, and, and as I remember as I went through that journey, it made me realize one of one of a few things. First of all, it made me realize that when you're seen as a trusted advisor, when customers are coming to you, actually the conversation of renewals. Tends to take the back burner. It's no longer about renewal. It's about how do I solve my business problem. So that was that was what the first realization. The second realization um, back in those days was that I can't do this for all my customers. I just don't have the bandwidth, and neither does my team. Right? We just didn't have the bandwidth to provide such high depth of service and support um, to our customers. And that's when, and that's when we started realizing that. We've got to take a look at how much revenue we're getting from each customer um, versus how much we're putting back into that in terms of investment, in time, in effort, Um, and sometimes we'd give away free services. Um, We actually had to calculate it and analyze the data to actually ascertain what's the ROI of what we're putting in versus the revenue we're getting out. And more importantly, is there even potential and scope um, to expand the footprint um, and the revenue from from that particular customer that 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 was um, a good revelation because when we when we did the analysis and we looked at the data we realized that the noisiest customers typically weren't the ones that were expanding right and that 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 forced us really to come up with a strategy to segment our um, um, our install base um and segment them to various categories right priority customers nurture customers growth customers um and then the long t- the long thin tail the scale customers
1: perfect um and just in terms of i guess the the difference between potential roles so you mentioned that i guess when you, when you started your career at sap it was more um as a consultant so do you think that's why you sort of fell into that cs role is it because of that Ability to take that consultative mindset, um, as opposed to maybe um, someone that's more, I guess, sales focused or something like that. So, like you said, being able to, um, you know, solve problems and help them implement a solution, as opposed to being more commercially focused. Or do you think that it does require a, a mix between both?
2: Yeah, good question. It's a, it's a topical one um, because you know the various customer success um, leaders I've spoken to. Um, have differing views i think i think everyone can agree you need a bit of both it's it's to what degree um to what degree um do you look for and what really is the focus i think i think the answer comes down to um your organization and what really you're selling is it a point solution um is it a a, a commoditized service versus is it a complicated, complex platform, right? Covering multiple stakeholders, large organizations, so on and so forth. I think if it's the former, then having... And then again, if it's the former, it depends, again, on how technical the solution is. If the solution's really technical, I find that you do need someone who can converse quite technically because your your customers and your stakeholders tend to be quite technical and you've got to be able to have those conversations and be credible, right? But if it's a point solution or something's commoditized, I think having a commercial mindset's useful. Uh, because actually what your the drive the driver for, for customer success is not so much adoption, but it's about val- it's about sort of functional value and also about expansion. That's that's just what I found. Um, I haven't worked in that space very much. I tend to work in the platforms, the complicated um, solutions, um, where I do find that for that, the objective of customer success there really is adoption. It's maturation, because when you have a platform, you tend to work with multiple stakeholders, different business units, um, sometimes with IT, sometimes with the end, um, the end divisions, um, different C-suite executives, Um, And therefore, you do need someone to be able to um, understand organizational structures, understand stakeholders, but also be able to do things such as discovery, um, consult, um, and then link, right? Link value from the platform to the business requirements, not from one stakeholder, but from multiple stakeholders, right? And, um, you know... Abilities or capabilities such as listening, gathering information, uh, but then also uh, building account plans um, and delivering upon that. Uh, for me, those are very those are skills that you tend to get in consultants. Uh, but also, when I use the word discovery and commercial, so you also need people with sales acumen in there, right? Um, so that's what I found in 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 my experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think i guess um that then also depends on things like the segmentation model as well right because um you know however you put it maybe the growth accounts for example you might need more of that discovery element because you need to find out where the growth opportunities are and then as you say that then feeds into things like stakeholder engagement so you probably will have to build uh, completely new relationships with new teams and things like that whereas maybe um say like a tech, a tech touch um, or a digital touch part of the segmentation might be more um, focused on like the technical aspects because um, it's less sort of face-to-face relationships and stuff like that so I guess it, it could then depend on yeah the segmentation as well.
2: Yep it does absolutely does yeah and and again you can segment in multiple ways I mean if you'd asked me this question two years ago I would have given you a different answer um, just because um, back then my experience was we we segmented based on um, company's annual turnro- turnover right so Um, I would have said to you then that you'd have an enterprise, you know, I'd have a segment for enterprise accounts, and my assumption would be enterprise accounts would be my kind of growth accounts uh, because there's there's a lot of room and capacity and potential. Um, And then I would have a mid market, I would have had a mid market um, segment, and then obviously a, a tech touch segment. Now, you know, I think about it, and I think, well, actually, you can you can slice it multiple ways. It depends what you're trying to achieve. It depends on the size of your um, customer success team, um, and again, it depends on the platform. I, I mentioned before my my experience tends to be in complicated platforms um, where there are multiple use cases, therefore, multiple stakeholders. I now find that um, I do have three. Um, different customer segments, generally speaking. I've got Tech Touch, Um, I have something that covers kind of corporate or mid-market, and then the enterprise. But within the enterprise, and even to some degree, the the mid-market, I almost have a matrix. If I have the luxury of having a large enough team or overlay teams, I like to start building in things like industry verticals, um, because then you can start really building um, industry-specific content, industry specific best practices um, and as you build that up you can simply overlay that with your your success place right so your success place in the enter- in the enterprise segment um, is going to include things to your to your point before such as account planning, understanding who the key stakeholders are understanding what's important to them um, and then um, ensuring that um, you build out what I'm calling, engagement charters or engagement plans, right? So that when you engage with these key stakeholders right up front in your early engagement, you formalize what it is that you're jointly trying to achieve together um, using the platform. And you create um, criteria, success criteria, put a timeline against it. And then you build out or you share with them and jointly build out uh, maturity plans, or evolution plans, right? So if you're trying to achieve this business objective, and let's say it's a transformational one or a digital transformation, that's not going to happen in a year. That's going to happen maybe three years, four years, right? So what does year one look like? What does year two look like? What does year three look like? And by starting to build out, jointly build out those plans uh, with your key stakeholders, then what you've essentially done, going back to what I said earlier on in my my you know, engagement manager career, you've taken renewals off the table, right? If you do this well, you've taken renewals off the table because you're anchoring high and you're talking about a transformation where actually you're not going to do it in one year. So why are you even discussing renewals? Let's talk about what's working in that transformational plan, what's not, and and, and focusing on that. And by the way, by the end of year one, you've proven out phase one and phase two, Um how do you want to then roll this out to make that transformation even more successful? And guess what? That's called an expansion, right? So all that would be built into your enterprise success play. Now, obviously, that's high touch. Um, you're talking about, you know, monthly uh, meetings, um, you know, steering committee meetings or, Q- or or CBS customer business reviews on a quarterly basis. So you can't do that for all your cust- uh, all your customers. You've got to be strategic about which ones you 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 select. Mm. Then the mid market. The mid market, to be honest, what I found is that the elements are very similar to the enterprise. And this is why I said if you've got the luxury of having a large customer success team and you start building overlays, the whole idea with these overlays is that you can start templatizing some of the collateral, and everything that you create and develop in your enterprise space can simply be reused um, in the mid market. And you start creating um, levers of success, right, so to, to allow you to scale. And then the difference, obviously, in the mid-market is that the frequency of touch, your touch points, is just reduced. Um, and the effort of creating uh, becomes, is reduced as well. And the whole idea is to reuse what you've done and create it from the enterprise space. And then finally, the tech touch. The tech touch is obviously a very different beast. I view it as a very different go-to-market motion as, as does everyone else. Um, it is about creating digital um, content, digital plays, success plays, using lots of campaigns. Um, it's also using one-to-many um, um, strategies, whether it's... Um, um, webinars, education, training, user communities, uh, product launches, product uh, updates and roadmaps. Um, that's where we got to build out a, a tech touch, a digital touch. We also try to automate as much as we can in things in, in um, onboarding and various touch points. The approach that I've taken is to create the customer journey, uh, map the customer journey out, identify each of the touch points, and then once those touch points are, are identified, um, then identifying what can we automate or use a digital um, success play um, without having any impact, um, and then which touch points do we actually really need human touch? Because at the end of the day, even the scale business does need a human touch. You cannot treat um, any of your customers, um, you know, purely as a digital customer and, and devalue them. Right. So it's identifying what can be done what touch points can be covered via technology and which ones need automation because at the end of the day um, if you're able to meet all those touch points and create a you know retention but b create expansion some of those customers could potentially move up into the mid market space right and it's it's our ability is part of the success strategy is to build out a territory plan in that space and identify which of those strategic accounts that potentially could move up. And that all becomes part of that motion.
0: Fantastic. I guess with regards to identifying those customers that could potentially move up, is there anything in particular that the, you, I guess, look for? Um, any signs that they show in terms of their behaviors? or?
2: A lot of it's down to research. I would say two things, research and partnering, right? So customer success, and we haven't touched on this in this conversation at all. Customer success is obviously can't be a function that exists in isolation. Um, it's, it's Customer success has got to partner very, very closely with sales. Um, it's got to partner very closely with delivery, support, uh, the product teams, and marketing. Uh, but in terms, uh, coming back to your question, in terms of identifying strategic accounts, it's really with partnering with sales. And one of the things I've seen in, in my experience is that when you partner with sales and you start building joint territory plans um, at the start of every year, you revisit these territory plans uh, on a quarterly basis. What will happen is as you as your teams work closely together, you'll identify the strategic accounts together. and you do that by uh, by research, right? by discovery. Um, When sales starts a selling motion and goes through a discovery process, they'll actually understand, uh, is there potential in this account to grow, or is it just going to be a simple, um, quick license, one use case, and actually that's all it's ever going to be. As part of that partnership, um, you then identify at the start of each um, fiscal year or or, or fiscal period, which are the strategic accounts that as a joint team we need need to, um, to support
1: yeah I think the the point that you made before about maturity is is really important for that as well i think um in terms of recognizing um obviously the customer has problems that's why they're buying the solution because they want to use that solution to fix those problems and they will have like i guess long term aspirations and goals as well but like you said it's a, a realization of what is realistic as well so you know in year one is it realistic that we'll solve this problem or is it a, a five year project and um, also, things like the, the resource that they have to deploy it, because I think sometimes people just sort of maybe hear the problem and they're like, yeah, we can definitely help you with that. But then six months down the line when they say, oh, we've only got maybe um, one developer or one um, like technical manager or something like that, then you kind of realize that maybe that wasn't like a realistic expectation. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think quite frequently also um, customers buy a solution to solve a specific problem and... What I view our role in customer success is, is actually helping the customer understand that we can do much more than that, right? Um, there's a concept in sales called Challenger Sales, right, where you don't, um, you don't, you simply don't accept what the customer tells you as gospel, but you challenge it. You take a look at uh, what's, you know, you understand what they're trying to achieve, you understand the world they're in, <coughs> excuse me, the industry they're in, the various forces at play, and then you kind of challenge them and you advise them, right? And I I think that's the right approach for customer success as well. They may buy uh, your solution for one use case, Um, and yes, you can solve that and you can can do it very well, but actually I think the real value comes when you, you going back to what I said earlier, when you do discovery, you truly understand you know What else is at play in that organization? Um, what business challenges they're facing? What's happening in the industry? Are they in a an in a, in a industry that's in decline? Are they in an industry that's being disrupted? Um, and then, you know, again, this is why I like the maturity model because then when you use the maturity model, you can actually say, you're doing this now. You're solving this problem today. But if you take a look at what's happening in your industry, these are the other factors at play. And here are some of the other problems that may come up tomorrow. Or, do you know what? If you, if you took a look at this aspect of what you're doing, <clears throat> excuse me, and if you use this functionality, you know, that could be trend analysis, that could be forecasting or predictive, predictive, predictive analysis, then what you could potentially do is you could be the disruptor. And that's when I think customer success really challenges the customer. Um, and helps the customer evolve from where they are today to tomorrow. And, and that's kind of why I really like the maturity model. And if you position that maturity model right up front in the engagement, um, you start transforming yourself from being a technology provider to really a business partner. And I think if if you can, if the customer success team can do that well, then, um, again, you transform yourself from being someone focused on renewals to, to really transforming businesses and therefore building on expansion.
1: Yeah, and I think... You sort of mentioned it already, um, like that's trusted advisor status, isn't it? They mm. they came to you with a problem and you've helped them not only achieve that but go far and beyond that. And as you say, if that's a company that's moving through the maturity model, yeah, that they're um, they're going to trust you to yeah help them keep going through that model. Yep, Perfect.
0: I guess as well, just even think about obviously creating verticals. Is that where the vertical experience really comes into play, having that ability to share stories of what other clients are doing? That's right. That advice.
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly right, um, and and it, it's again, uh, it's a luxury because if you're a, in a smaller company, so in, in in one of my former companies, we we weren't we just didn't have that many people in the team, and I didn't have the budget to do that, so we weren't able to create um, vertical industries. But what I what I encouraged the team to do was to focus and have specializations. Everyone has to be a generalist when you're a small when you're a smaller team, but. If you're able, and this comes down to creating those customer segments as well, if you understand um, your customer segments, and as you're doing, as you're creating your territory plans, if you understand, for example, that financial services is going to be a big. Area for you, and maybe telcos are, are another big area for you. Then, even if you can't build verticals, you can start creating subspecialties within people, right? And as you create those subspecialties, you're able then to talk in the language of the customer. You're able to understand trends. I mean, if you're in if you're in retail banking, for example, um, the challenger banks has have been around for a while now, right? Quite a few years now, but it's a huge it's a huge challenge. For, for the banking industry, and for the challenger banks themselves, they've got a huge challenge, right? One is, banking the banking industry, you've got to be stable, you've got to be robust, and somehow that seems to be tried to, uh, tied to the perception of being traditional, right? How do you how do you be robust and stable and traditional, and at the same time, be disruptive, use uh, digital technology, put everything on the cloud, right? So that's one of the challenges they're facing. And if you, as a, as a solution, uh, provider are able to a understand that call it out and then walk through how potentially your organization can support that how much value are how much more how much more value are you going to add versus someone coming and just selling a platform right so that that's the kind of uh, nuance I, I i like to build in the customer success team
0: yeah i think it's quite a nice view actually and I, probably i've made the mistake for this in the past but sometimes you can be focused as a csm of being an expert in your own products without trying to be an expert in your customer's business and really understanding like the challenges that they face would you advise CSMs to try and step into their client's shoes whether that's going to conferences reading like trade publications that relate to that sector I guess is that something that you've tried with your teams that you've managed in the past or
2: yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I and and actually, it's a, it's a trap that we all fall into. It's not just you. I think we all do that, right? <laughs> We're so focused in our own world, and I feel quite, I feel quite passionately about this. Uh, there are times I forget because I, I also <laughs> focus on my world. But, but I do feel passionately about this. I think if we, you know, you you hear me say the same words over and over again, right? But if we want to be credible. If we want our customers to come to us, then we've got to we've got to stop thinking about ourselves. We've got to we do have to put ourselves in our customer's shoes. So, and I think you're right. I think it's reading up on you know, trade journals, going to conferences, um, just understanding, even talking to people. Um, I spend a lot of time talking to people, understanding their worlds, understanding what keeps them up at night, um, so that I can understand the trends, right? And then when I speak to them, I, I focus on their journeys. And not announced, But what I see happen time and time again is most, not most. That's, I haven't been to that many organizations, but the, the 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 organizations I've seen are very focused on their own internal processes. And I think the danger of that is you display that to the customer, and the customer's got to navigate your processes. Whereas if you built your internal processes with the customer in mind, outside in, focused on the customer journey, and you hide your internal processes, right? So if you have to pass from one team to another, you know, maybe it's from implementation, to customer, from sales to implementation, to customer success, to support, to product management, the customer shouldn't have to see any of that. That should be internal to your own organization, right?
1: Yeah, I think um, it's interesting you say that because one of the things that's come up on basically every episode so far is curiosity. and I think that's essentially what, what you're describing there the um, the personality trait of constantly being curious about the customers that you work with and getting to know their world the way that they operate and where you as a solution fit into that Um, but I guess on that note are there any other common personality traits that either you look for when you're building out a team or that you've come across um, through the organizations that you've worked for in the past
2: so, yeah, curiosity, absolutely. I, I, I want people who are genuine and come across as genuine uh, because at the end of the day, even though you have to build a structure and a framework um, in the customer success team, people have to be likable. You know, people have to be likable. Um, they've got to be able to build rapport very quickly. Um, they've got to be able to handle um, difficult, tense situations because they happen all the time, right? uh, they've got to manage escalations, they've got to handle things calmly, um, so, so all that ability and capability for me is important. I also like people to um, always be wanting to learn, so I suppose it's tied to curiosity, but, but actively going out there, building knowledge and learning, because customer success is a changing function you know, as industry changes out there, as customers and organizations change, um, we we also have to change. Therefore, we've always got to be learning. Um, I like people to try things, um, and I'm okay if 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 they fail, as long as they're honest about it, and we, we learn lessons from it, and then we share those lessons uh, with the wider team. So that for me is very important as well. And I mentioned this at the very start. I like people who are consult consultative, right? It's about Doing lots of discovery. It's about listening. Active listening is really important because there are verbal and nonverbal cues. Um, and if you can pick up those nonverbal cues, then you, you, you've got the ability to sort of dig deeper and uncover information that could be pertinent. Um, so that's, that's very important to me. Um, and then the ability to reflect and pull that information and before, before pulling into strategy
0: with those sort of skills it's actually come up quite a lot on the podcast they're definitely key things that make a good CSM in terms of the listening uh probing to asking the right questions um which probably goes back to your uh, reference earlier it's like the challenger sal having those skills to really question what the client's doing is that something that you have found maybe a struggle to hire for so would you like do you feel with regards to like CS at the moment do those skills exist For the majority of CSMs, or is that something that perhaps maybe we need to do more um, sort of discovery and learning around in the industry?
2: They do exist. Um, And the reason why I pause is customer success is such a wide field um, and different organizations define it slightly differently. Mm -hmm. So, what I've learned is that when I'm advertising um, or recruiting um, for customer success managers, Quite frequently, I get people who've been customer success managers for a while but don't fit what I'm looking for. And I, I find that I I tend to have, um, I wouldn't say better luck, but I, I tend to find uh, potential candidates that come from uh, consultancies, people who've understood. You know, and, and the reason why I like people who come from consultancies, all those skills that I'm looking for, they've done it. Um, they've, they're, they're able to handle... Um, multi-stakeholder management, um, high-stress situations, escalations. They're quite programmatic and structured, which is very important. Um, being able to handle multiple uh, priorities, conflicting priorities. But also, there's, a, there's an element of commercial um, astuteness within that. So I find that's a good um, background and experience. Um, and in fact, when I look at people who are currently customer success managers, um, the really good ones I find have an element of those skill sets, right? Whether it's in consultancy or not doesn't matter, but an element of those skill sets and that that's what makes for me a good um, a good hire.
1: Yeah, and I think um, it's been interesting doing this um, these podcasts because this, the one consistent thing is the skills that are mentioned or the personality traits. Um, but as you said, because the industry is so wide, that's evident through the different roles that people have had, like either people that we've interviewed or... Um, yeah, the types of people that they say they uh, tend to hire from. So, you know, we've spoken to people who um, have been things like account managers and consultants, but then there's also, like, people who've been developers or tech support. And I guess it is a merging of um, the two elements that we've kind of touched on, really. One which is more the consultative side, and then the other which is more, for certain businesses, the the technical expertise or the platform expertise.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And I've I've had I've had in, in, in my various teams, I've I've had that mix as well. Um, and again, it depends on what you're selling and what you're trying to do. I mean customer success in different organizations fits in different functions, right? Some some organizations have customer success sitting in the broader sales go to market, in which case you would look for someone slightly more commercial, mm-hmm. someone who's got more account management skills. Um whereas other other organizations put customer success more with implementation or project management or support in which case you probably need someone a bit more technical and more product product savvy um, and more with more program management project management skills so it does depend uh, how you define it and where where which broader function it sits within
0: yeah it's interesting the only and the sort of reason for asking that question really it's just because Again, through these conversations, uh, we, we have had talks around like the standardization of mm-hmm. what a customer success manager is. But I think to your point, it, it varies so much because there's so many different types of CS roles, so many different types of products and complexities with those products that I don't think you can have just like a one-size-fits-all CSM.
2: No, It has to be sort yep. of
0: molded to the company itself.
2: That's right, and and it's and it's an interesting. I'm going to be slightly f- philosophical here, but <laughs> <laughs> even even you know naming conventions, right? So if you talk to different organizations, you have various names for customer success. Some some people like the term customer success, some don't, and therefore they rename it. But it comes down, I, I think, to s- simplify it. It's understanding what the objectives are for your customer success organization, but not up. And I don't mean objectives in a simplistic form, i.e. renewal and expansion, all customer success organizations have that. Some some say uh, adoption as well, right? But actually taking it one level below that and saying, how do you intend to do that? I think the how you intend to do that will actually define the sorts of skill sets you need and where in the organization it fits.
1: So one of the things I was going to ask about is um, we've spoken a lot around segmentation and um, hiring for people that will fit into and, and I guess, um, best be best placed in those segments. Um, but how do you then, and again, it's probably another ho- sort of hot topic in, in CS, but, um, how do you measure the success of that team? What are the, again, is there a framework or does it depend on the type of, um, company that it is, but what are the main sort of metrics and frameworks and best practices that you've worked with in the past in terms of measuring the performance of a CS team?
2: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, this is topical. Um, I've been to a few discussions on this as well because different companies do it differently. Um, so I suppose the two main metrics that everyone tends to, well, not everyone, most companies tend to agree on are renewal rates or retention rates, uh, one of the two, um, as, as a key driver, um, and then some form of expansion. Um, I, think, I think the renewals are relatively easy. Um, it's understanding how much churn that you're willing um, you're willing to, to allow, and then coming with a, a re- renewal rate um, target. Um, and that and that to me that to me has got to be the the, the biggest metric in customer success. If if that metric is too low. And you over-index on on the expansion side of things, then essentially you're creating another sales function, right? So for me, the re- the renewal rate has got to be the biggest uh, driver. Um, there are um, there are arguments for individual targets versus team targets, um, and again, it depends. I don't think that's, that's any right answer. I've I've been in organisations that have team targets, and I've been in organisations that have individual targets. I see the benefit of both. Um, I I personally like the team targets better because it fosters um, a tighter, more collaborative team. Um, And especially when you've got a large book of business, um, you are going to need to build a a team that supports each other. um, And you can start building up support structures and mentoring and buddy systems um, and just sharing of information. So I I personally like team targets, um, but, but but there are times when individual targets make sense. So that's where I put my, my biggest focus. Um, and then, obviously, I, I, I talked a lot about adoption. I talked a lot about um, maturation and, and, therefore, expansion. Expansion targets for me are really important. Um, I've seen different ways of doing it. I've seen net, net expansion. I've seen team targets. I've seen individual targets. I've seen um, opportunities accepted um, as, as, a, as a way of measuring it. I've also seen opportunities um, sourced and, and won. Um, I think again, there is no one size fits all. Um, If you'd asked me this question, you know, one year ago, two years ago, I would have told you very clearly, this is the answer. I strongly believe in it. But I've seen different models work now. And I think it depends on the financial model and what you're trying to achieve. It depends on where customer success fits in your organization. If it's part of a sales uh, motion, then, and you do need to attribute um, revenue to customer success then you're gonna you're gonna have to use a, a an individual target right and and, and there are ways of doing that but if customer success is more product focused or more adoption focused and expansions just uh, cherry on the top then i think team targets work and i think that you know as long as the team targets the teams aren't too large um then i do think team targets work and i'd probably put accelerators on them or something to, to that effect um so so those are the the various models that I've seen working
1: is there then an element of differentiation as you sort of move through the segments as well so I guess there's naturally a different focus for the enterprise segment compared to mid-market but Mm -hmm. um, does that then come down to things like KPIs are there any sort of go-to KPIs that you've had in teams in the past to sort of help measure whether expansion and renewal or retention rates are on track
2: yeah, good question. Actually, I forgot to add that to it. Yeah, so yeah, coming. So yeah, so so I believe the the hard metrics for me are the are the strongest um, way to measure success. But obviously, you do need KPIs, right? Um, and I I, t- I try not to overburden the team with KPIs because then it distracts them from their real work. Um, but what I would like to do is um, have one or two um, KPIs and really focus it around. Um, either personal development um, and this could be for example industry, um, you know building up industry knowledge or it could be building up product knowledge. but I'd like to have one KPI on, on personal development and I'd like I typically like to have another KPI that's given back to the internal community. Right? When I say internal community, I mean the company. So that could be uh, helping mentor or buddy up with um, another member in the organ- in the team. Um, help uh, bring them up um, in terms of experience um, or it could be by creating um, or, or working on initiatives to actually evolve the customer success function and it could be templates it could be working on projects such as um, you know improving account health and sharing those knowledge uh, kind of further out so that's typically what I'd like to do in terms of uh, KPIs and metrics.
1: Yeah I like that it goes along with the the skill sets that you're talking about in terms of the curiosity and the desire to, to continuously learn. So that, that makes sense to naturally have that mm-hmm. as a measurement aspect anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always find with KPIs sometimes they can either be a blessing or a curse, depending yeah. on whether they're driving the right behaviors. That's right. So yeah, I quite like that approach.
2: That's right. And actually you've um you've one of the things So, you know, when I when I was uh when I first became a manager, I, I viewed KPIs I didn't view KPIs holistically I kind of created KPIs per individual. And to your point, um, you can end up creating a lot of work and not actually having a lot of impact. So I think the best way to do it is at the start of every year to actually th- think of the themes that you want um, for that year. And typically, this should fit into a three-year vision or a four-year vision or four-year plan, right? Um, and therefore, when you create your your themes each year that fits into your bigger plan, you then start creating KPIs for the team you know, so I, I typically have my own KPIs um, that are more you know kind of broader. And then as I create KPIs for the teams, um, that can then cascade down to each individual. So therefore, whatever KPIs are, they've got to fit to the theme for the year, which has got to fit the four-year plan or three-year plan or whatever it may be. Then to your point, that way you don't end up doing things for the sake of doing things, but you actually do something that fits holistically to the broader plan.
1: Yeah. And how about with things like, um, I guess, uh, again, going back to like enterprise and mid-market, um, I think you refer to them as engagement plans. Um, you know, other people might call them like success plans or something like that. Um, is there any sort of criteria that is measured in terms of that? to, to uh, Or is that more of a, a client-facing KPI in terms of like those um, customer business reviews or the quarterly reviews or, or something like that?
2: So it, it depends on the maturity and we we haven't spoken about this right the maturity of your customer success organization um if you're if that customer success organization is emerging excuse me then then yeah you you typically have to build um those uh in the KPIs so that success plans typically have to be built into KPIs but as the as the organization matures it really should be part and parcel of your day You know, it's like you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you have a drink, you don't think about it, you're not told to do it. But, you know, if you're a three-year-old or four-year-old, you you kind of be nagged to do it, right? So it's the same. It's, this is part of the discipline. I would expect everyone in my team to be running CBRs. I shouldn't have to tell them about it. They should be doing it. And in the CBRs, they should be doing a number of things, right? One of them is the engagement plan or the engagement charter. That should be part and parcel of the discipline. And, you know, you create success plays or operational models and that operational model should be used by every single person in the team, right? And um, obviously they have to be updated on a yearly basis because things change. Um, But that becomes the bread and butter of the role. So I don't, I I typically don't put that in the success plan. However, if I have someone junior in the team joining um, and as part of the onboarding, um, it does go into the, it does go into the KPI for that quarter.
1: Yeah, I like that. And I think it, Again, you mentioned it before, but templatizing the structures and the frameworks, if it's kind of a known expectation, then to your point, it then becomes almost like a subconscious behavior That's right. and it's just second nature to the, the team. And yeah, they can then focus on, again, what you said more around their own sort of personal development and the company's development. And it's not really a main focus to do those engagement plans. They just do it as, yeah, as a natural part of mm-hmm. their role. So yeah, I kind right. like that,
2: yep. yeah. And every time you introduce something new, right, because as we evolve, and, and customer success should evolve, right, we should evolve because if we don't evolve, we'll remain stale and irrelevant. So as we evolve, evolve and, um, you know, we roll out new ideas, new methodologies, then, yeah, they, they typically have to go into the KPIs because otherwise you don't, affect fact, change, do you? Justin, so,
0: yeah. I think you mentioned this more so at the start, but just around, like, looking at the cost of service So how much does it cost to service a particular type of client? And then that informs the different service levels that perhaps maybe an enterprise client would get versus mid-market. Have you got a particular approach that you follow now when you are looking at the segmentation of clients and the cost of service? Is there anything that goes into that specifically that you particularly monitor?
2: Um, so, yes, there there are lots of things that go into it. Um, I suppose the first thing to to look at is actually understanding that seg- each segment and understanding what's the potential for revenue that's going to come out of that segment. Right, that's probably the first thing you look at. Then the second thing you look at is um, is there a minimum threshold um, where you would expect customers in that segment to to buy or to spend? Right, uh, and the reason why this is important is because. It's very easy to put a customer in an enterprise segment just because they've got a big brand name and they're a global global presence or they're Fortune 500. Uh, But if they're not willing to spend a minimum threshold, you can easily over-invest in that organization and not necessarily see the revenue or the return come back in time. So that becomes an important um, factor. Then the third factor then is what are the elements that we need to provide or package up um, in order to make that that customer successful. And this typically would include uh, product, right? Whatever whatever package of, of product. It would include some sort of services, uh, whether it's provided by ourselves or whether it's provided by a partner. Um, and then the thing with services is, you know, how long is a piece of string, right? It can be very simple. It can be very complex and large where we do everything. So it's actually... Putting together different packages for that category, right? So if it's an enterprise, if it's an enterprise space, you typically tend not to position self-service because even if the customer says, "Yeah, we'll do self-service," the reality is they won't. So we don't package that up. We package um, enterprise-grade services, uh, and then it goes upwards to fully managed services, right? So that gets bundled in. Um, it includes customer success. Um, We haven't talked about this but you know it's another topical one do you charge for customer success or not Um, and so again depending on your organization um, you may choose to package customer success and charge for it or you may choose to package it up as a free service right Um, and again it depends so in an enterprise space i always budget for high touch Um, if it's a global account um, multi-country, multi-language, sometimes I even budget for multiple CS, right? Maybe a CS director and a CS manager or a junior CSM. Um, and if it's a global account, then I actually would consider charging an element for it. Um, then, then obviously the other element that you package up in there is um, support, right? Varying packages of support. If it's an enterprise account, maybe you can upsell them to a premium support package um, so, so that's kind of that's kind of packaged up and I, I would take that approach to then understand, okay, that's what's needed to make this customer successful. Uh, what are the costs involved in there right And then and coming back to what I said the point I said earlier, this is where the minimum threshold comes in. If the cost of putting together these elements to service and make the customer successful you know is 100 grand or 200 grand, then your minimal threshold, um you want the customer to spend that much at a minimum right and if it's slightly under that you know then you make a business decision do you invest in this account and you take the hit up front uh but with a plan to um overachieve that in you know 12 months or six months or whatever it may be so that that's how i would package it up and that's the approach i take
0: interesting and i guess is it on the sort of csm to just be aware of the sort of service they are providing, or is it something that you, I guess, look at from more of a top level view? Perhaps maybe with that historical data as you're collecting that, just to look at different segments or different verticals, understand like the service that has been delivered, cost that up, and then moving forward, uh, that allows you to then associate some type of cost to particular types of clients.
2: Yeah, I think the CS leaders need to do this, and it's it's not an exercise that you can that CS can do by itself. Obviously, you do it in conjunction with sales. You do it in conjunction with your service delivery team or your partner team as well, right? Um, however, that said, um, I like that I like the customer success team to understand that, and the reason why I like them to understand it is as they as they, you know, as they create their territory plans, as they look at their own books of business, they need to be understanding. Just because the customer has a large name and they're shouting doesn't necessarily mean that that customer has prioritized over the quieter customers, right? I'd like the team to understand in their books of business, which are the strategic accounts? And again, earlier and I said do this in conjunction with sales. Which are the strategic accounts? And where is the potential for them to actually grow um, the business?
0: I think as well, again, just something that we've sort of come out of these episodes. Um, I can't remember which episode it was sort of highlighted on, but... This can be the mistake as well when segmenting just based purely on value. Mm. The reason being you could have maybe one CSM on a really high value account that are probably quite well or have adopted the products well, don't need that much support, but we're trying to give them that support with one person and then they end up sitting there not doing much at all because you've got all that resource allocated to one account. So yeah, quite like that approach.
1: Yeah, I guess it goes back to, um, again, understanding the customer's environment and the industry as well like something might happen say if you've, you've set your segmentation up for the next six months or so something might happen to one client that you've put in a lower end of the segmentation that mm-hmm. completely changes their environment and maybe what they're willing to spend and their potential so it's an it's an ongoing thing isn't it to, it is. to constantly review that
2: it is. this is why I um, this is why I said at the very start one of your questions you know what skills you look for and and I talked about kind of account planning this this i think is really important because what what i one of the traps i see that um, a lot of customer success um, managers fall under is that they they've got a good relationship with you know one stakeholder or two stakeholders in an account then they've kind of given that account um, health a green score right or a green status but they could be aligned to a stakeholder that's not that influential or they could be just in a small part of the organization, and the only way you're going to know that is if you take a step back and take a look at the account holistically. You build an account plan. You understand the org structure, and you understand: Am I across all the business units or the divisions? Right? Um, can I go higher? Who, who really? Who really cares about this program? Who really has the budget? Right? Um, who are the influencers in there? until you until you, you run that exercise you could be single threading and and what's worst of all what happens when that stakeholder changes then you're in a position where you really are struggling to take that account back to green which maybe wasn't green in the first place anyway right so so I think this is why I like this is why I like doing proper account planning and and we haven't spoken about account health but when I when you think about how you measure account health um, the various characteristics Characteristics that you need to drill down upon is, is you know, um, not stakeholder but stakeholders who are the various stakeholders. Do we have access to them, right? As, as, as a key element, um, do we are we attached to a company-wide program, right? Or are we attached to a uh, a, signif- a significant strategic program? Could be another one, but but until you until you identify these attributes in the account plan and you build it into your account health, um, you may not be measuring account health accurately.
0: And would you say, looking at perhaps maybe a successful customer, understanding what it is that's made them successful, perhaps, like you say, being aligned to a specific program internally, being across certain stakeholders, would you then use that as an ideal view of how other clients should look?
2: Yep. So, yeah, so so coming... so, So, you know, when I think about... If I bring that your question back to account health. So if I think about how I measure account health, those are some of the elements. I mean, obviously, there are others, right? There are, I talked about maturity model. So understanding where they are in a maturity model, um, having the customer themselves understand where they are in a maturity model is another element. Um, having concrete uh, steps or plan jointly with the customer to actually progress up, that maturity model, because when you do that, that's a good sign that that account, um, even if even if they're in, you know, even if they're in the emerging phases of the maturity model, if they've got concrete steps and plans to move up, that's going to increase the account health, right? Um, usage, product usage is obviously a key one that that everyone measures. Product usage is an interesting one. I. It's a good indicator but it's not the best indicator all it Mm. tells you is whether people are using the platform right so i think it's good to have it you need to have it because if people aren't using it it's an early warning signal right so it's an alert that should go off but if people are using it it doesn't really tell you anything that's why i like things like maturity models stakeholder um, attaching to a to a a wider program or strategic program
1: yeah i was gonna i was gonna say that i guess the usage is is important as long as it's being tied to a strategic initiative or something like that. I've been in situations in the past myself where, um, you know, you've got a maybe a client that's been, um, a client for a number of years and it's kind of slipped into one of those scenarios where there's one stakeholder and they just kind of use it sporadically and it's not really being used to inform decisions or change things or, yeah, actually as part of a strategic initiative and eventually gets to the point where they're kind of like, well, we just log in for the sake of it now. We don't really use it yeah Yeah, kind of for that reason sort of
0: feeds into loyalty as well Mm, as we've sort of discussed in the past because somebody could be using the product if they don't really have that love Mm -hmm. for your products and what you do (coughs) if something else comes along they could very easily switch um
1: yeah exactly yep perfect um so the final section that we've been asking people about then is um around trends and advice so um firstly i guess we've spoken a lot around the current state of cs and Uh, Things like segmentation and different engagement strategies and so on. But um, where do you think the industry will head? What do you think will be the next, either the next biggest thing or what will change um, from a customer success perspective?
2: Good question. Um, Two things. I could be biased, yeah, because of the industry I'm in. Uh, (laughs) I think experiences uh, are a trend now. And the focus on customer experience, customer journeys has already started, but actually the sentiment that comes out of customers uh, and the ability to feed that back into a CS system um, I think is is an emerging trend. Um, And closely tied to that that is the ability to use that data, that experience data and predict um, likelihood of churn, or predict um, next next um, actions. I think is where we're we're heading towards.
1: Yeah. and Do you think there will be an element of that? Um, that's come up in the past in terms of, I guess, AI and automating that data and having the sort of decision making process, mm-hmm. yeah, automated for you. Yeah,
2: I do. I do think, and I think, and I think it, that that's that that sort of um, automated um, and predictable um, data um, is gonna make our jobs a lot easier. Um as long as we're able to capture capture the the, the human sentiment and feed feed the machine yep.
0: I guess another big part of that is just getting that view right in the first place, as you said, understanding what makes a healthy customer mm-hmm. if you have that success criteria in place, you can essentially then feed that into that's right, yeah, it's, that's right.
2: Yeah, it's it's asking the right questions mm-hmm. um, and you know having. And the thing is, you can ask one question and get you know, 200 different answers, right? So being able then to um, categorize those 200 answers uh, where they're actually very similar, but also being able to identify key words or key statements that actually may sound similar but has a very different sentiment, right? Um, being able to capture all of that and then um, kind of automate you know, recommended next steps or recommended actions, and I think that would make that would make customer success a little bit easier, especially down in the tech touch and digital touch areas, and help us manage the uh, the mid market in an, in a, in a way that we can scale. So if I take a look at the cost, coming back to cost again, I take a look at the cost of running a customer success team. It's high, but as you as you go up the customer success success maturity model. If you can actually automate and you can use things like AI um, and predictive and if you can bring in human sentiment into that, human sentiment data, exp- what we call experience data into that, then actually you've got the ability to automate that and reduce the cost of running customer success, right? Um, and that, I think, will be quite powerful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And um, just the last question that we've got is just around advice for somebody looking to build their career within CS. Mm-hmm. Uh Probably both as a CSM and then also as a CS leader.
2: Yeah. Um. So I think as a CSM, um, I think we've touched upon it before. It's about being curious. It's about knowledge, but uh, but also it's about it's about the ability to to pick up multiple skill sets, right? So on. How to consult, um, but also not being fearful of learning the commercials, the commercial side of things, um, and being holistic in, in that approach. One of the one of the traps I see a lot of um, young CSM fall into is to focus a lot on the product and technology. It's easy to learn. It's a safe space, um, and it. Therefore, becomes very easy to have conversations around that because you can just go straight to technology and demo or showcase um, in a lot of detail. Um, and it's a trap because although you need that, that's only a foundation, but the true skill sets is actually being able to have the business conversations, the need um, that they're trying to solve and, and how we do that. Right, and, and then being able to, to be commercially savvy. So I would actually focus on those areas as opposed to the technology. The technology you should just do anyway. Yeah,
0: I guess as well, if you have the foundations right, wherever you go in your career, you are going to be able to lean on those skills. Whereas if you just focus on the products, mm-hmm. that's going to be lost as soon as you move to another company, essentially. So you could be a product expert in one company, move somewhere else. yeah, And then essentially you haven't got those core skills in order to have that's right conversations. And,
2: that's yeah. right. And I think the second part of your question, the CS leaders, um, I mean, as a CS leader, there's so many things that you need to to focus on. I, my own personal learning has been, what I found really effective is partnering. As a CS leader, you've got to partner with almost everyone. You've got to partner really closely with sales. You've got to partner closely with product teams, with the support team, with the delivery team, um, and any other industry teams out there partner teams, partners itself. So I think as a CS leader, partnering is, is very, very important. And if you don't do that well, you end up being siloed and therefore being um, ineffective. That's one key thing. The other key, the other key lesson I've learned as well, again, we've touched on this before, is that it's very easy to be focused, especially as you're building customer success, on internal processes, internal policies. Um, and as you're plugging the gaps between various functions, be very focused on on the internal journey. Um, But a huge impact on that is on the customer journey. So the second piece I would say is really focus on the customer journey and never forget the impact on the customer journey. I think those have been my my two biggest um, lessons in in CS.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Um, Yeah. It's been fantastic having you as a guest. Um, I think we've covered a lot of uh, really interesting topics. I'm sure we could go into a lot more (laughs) detail. We kept saying that there was areas that we've not really spoken about yet. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. And we'd hopefully do this again another time and actually dive into some of those topics in more detail.
2: Fantastic. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks
1: Thanks
0: so much.